I'm going to, well, I am going to move it anyway. I don't know whether I'm allowed or not. But I've got the microphone and I'm standing here, so that's all right. Hello, everyone. Nice to see you. My name's Adrian. I'm Adrian Reynolds. I work for the FIC, which is the Fellowship Independent Evangelical Churches, of which you're a part, along with about 610 other churches, I think, up and down the country. Not in Northern Ireland, but England, Scotland, and Wales. I'm the Associate National Director, which basically means I do whatever I'm asked to do, a bit of everything, have special responsibility for training but also um, look after our leaders' conference in November and a few other bits and pieces. Married to Celia, but one wife, that's in the Bible. Um, I have three daughters, two of them are married, and one grandchild, another one on the way, we discovered this week. So very exciting in our household. Uh, We're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 1. I think you'll find it helpful. It's a complicated passage. I'm hopefully going to make it simple for you, but it would be helpful if you have it open. So if you'd like to turn to it. Um, It was read to us very well, wasn't it? It's on page 830 in the Church Bibles. And as we have our Bibles open, let's pray together. Gracious God, we do want to thank you for your word. These words were inspired by the Spirit to be written down for us. Over the years, they've been preserved by the Spirit for us. Your Spirit has helped men and women translate them into a language that we can understand. And now we need your Spirit's help. For without him, these are just words. We don't want them to be just words. We want them to be your word to us. And so we pray for his help. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wonder what you would say is the most important thing about being a Christian. In other words, what's at the heart of the Christian faith? Some people would say, well, it's this, it's the Bible, it's, and it's knowing your Bible. That's the most important thing that you could commit yourself to doing this week, reading your Bible every day, learning your Bible, learning perhaps passages off by heart, reading passages that you're not familiar with, maybe some of the passages that you love to come back to time and time again. You, you might say, actually, that's important, but even more important than that is prayer. And praying as an individual, praying together as a church. I just saw your banner up there from Acts 4. They raise their voices together in prayer to God. You might say that's, that's at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. It's prayer. Perhaps you might say, well, those are important. But actually at the heart of being a Christian is knowing how to serve God. Knowing how he wants me to live this week. Perhaps you might say, no, it's it's evangelism. That's at the heart of Christianity. It's sharing the good news with other people who have not yet heard it. Or perhaps you might say, no, actually it's about knowing how to cope. Just, I was very conscious sitting in the prayer meeting and just now in the service hearing about the number of people who have have got struggles in the church at the moment and, and knowing how to cope, knowing how to deal with the difficulties of life. Surely that's right at the heart of being a Christian. Well, all of those things are true to some extent, but none of them are actually the answer to the question. For there is something bigger than all of those, and and all of those, prayer and knowing the Bible and evangelism and knowing how to live and serve and to get through life, all of those are a means to a greater end. And the greater end is this, to know the Lord. This book of Ezekiel is an extraordinary book chapter after chapter, and some extraordinary events that happen in the book of Ezekiel. 53 times in this book, the Lord says, I'm doing this so that they will know I am the Lord. 
And it doesn't matter whether God is acting in mercy and grace. We've just been singing about amazing grace raining down. There are extraordinary moments of grace in Ezekiel. And, and the Lord says, I'm doing this so that they will know I am the Lord, so that they will know me. And even actually the moments of judgment, terrible judgment, as the Lord's glory departs from the temple and the temple is destroyed, the Lord says, I'm doing this so that they will know me. That is his end. And even Ezekiel, this great man of God, he needs that. He needs to know the Lord. And so that's why Ezekiel chapter 1 begins with this extraordinary vision an extraordinary encounter with the Lord, for Ezekiel himself needs to know the Lord. Just think about it for a moment. He's a, he's a relatively young man, Ezekiel. There he is at the beginning, in my 30th year. He was 30 years old. Uh, he was a priest, by the way. Did you notice that? In verse 3, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest. Um, at age 30, that means he's straight out of college. Priest college runs up until you're 30. You start serving when you're 30. So he's spent all those years, probably from age 13 to 30, in college, right? You're looking for a new pastor. I suggest you don't look for someone who's been 17 years in college. But this guy, he's had all the training you could possibly imagine. He, he knows his Bible. You think knowing your Bible is at the heart of the Christianity. Well, Ezekiel knows his. Didn't have the whole Bible, of course. They had the Pentateuch. That's the Pentateuch in my Bible. And here's the thing, Ezekiel would have known that off by heart. Imagine that. He would have known how to pray. He would have known how everything worked. He would have known how to serve. Um, do you ever read those chapters in the Old Testament about the temple and the sacrifices and get a bit confused? Which offering is to be offered on which day? How many? At what hour? Well, to Ezekiel, that was his daily routine. He knew all that stuff. He knew how to serve. He even, in fact, knew his history. He, he knew why the people of God were where they were. Look where they were. In my 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the River Kibar. River Kibar, it's a canal that ran around Babylon. The people of God have been sent off to Babylon in exile because of their rebellion. And Ezekiel knows that. He's not there on holiday. He's not there, you know, um, dipping his toes in the water, thinking, oh, this is nice. He's in exile. He's with the people of God. What do they do by the rivers of Babylon, including the Kibar? They weep. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept. Because they're far away from home, 900 miles from home, three months' journey from home, far away from the Lord's place, Jerusalem. Ezekiel knows all of that. And yet, what does he need to be prepared for the job that God has got for him? He needs an encounter with the Lord. He needs to know the Lord. I want to suggest to you that whoever you are, whatever stage of life you're at, Whatever kind of ministry that you have in the church or outside the church, whether you're a new Christian, whether you've been a Christian many, many years, I don't think it really matters. It doesn't matter who you are. This is the thing that every Christian needs to know is at the heart of the Christian faith. It is knowing the Lord. It's having a living encounter with the God who is there. That's what Ezekiel has. And it's what we need too. Let me show you some of the things about this encounter. I want to show you three things. 
I'm a good Baptist, so I've got three points. I want to show you three things that Ezekiel sees in this vision. Three things that he sees that he needs. Three things that we need to see and that we need. Here is the first. The Lord is glorious. Did you notice how everything about this vision is glorious? Everything is a little bit out of this world. Did you think as, as Lee was reading it, it's kind of, it goes beyond you. It's, it's beyond your thinking. Did you feel like that as it was being read? You ought to feel like that because it is totally out of this world. Even as it begins, I looked, verse 4, and I saw a violent storm coming out of the north. Well, occasionally I've seen storms coming towards me. Um, I've just moved to Market Harbour. I'm on the same train line as you, by the way. And um, I'm in Market Harbour, moved there from the east end of London, where I live for just under 10 years. And in the east end of London, where all my grandparents are from and, and, and I'm from originally, um, you don't see much sky. There's not much skyline. And you move out to wherever... Luton, Lee, Grave, Hollington, Flittick, Bedford, I remember the line. You move out here or you move to Market Harbour, suddenly you see a lot of sky and sudden, sometimes you see the storm coming towards you, don't you? But you've never seen a storm like this. An immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The centre of the fire looked like glowing metal. Takes your breath away, it's glorious. These creatures there out of this world, we'll come back to them in just a moment. The wheels in verse 15, they're out of this world. And even the floor is out of this world. Look at verse 22, because what Ezekiel sees is a throne coming towards him, a throne platform. Look how he describes it in verse 22. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures with what looks something like a vault, an expanse, a, a level sparkling like crystal and awesome. And then on that vault is, is the throne of God. Uh, I wonder when you go into a building, do you ever look at the floor? You tend not to, do you? When, when, when you go into a building, especially if it's a, a fancy building, you tend to look up, don't you? That's what you tend to do. But I don't know if you saw this in the paper this week. They've just reopened the painted hall in Greenwich. Has anyone here ever been to the Painted Hall in Greenwich? One or two people. It's in the naval, the old naval college that's in um, Greenwich. Extraordinary building. It's sometimes called the Sistine Chapel of Greenwich. Not sure that's much of an accolade, Greenwich, but there we are. It, it's there. You walk into it. This extraordinary chapel. You walk into it. You see the ceiling. It takes your breath away. And ceilings sometimes do that, don't they? I, I looked up when I came in. And you might think, well, you're just used to this. But I was interested. You know, I'm interested in church architecture. I was interested in what was behind the screen. And I was interested in these little details on the top. Someone's taken some care with those. Your eyes are drawn upwards very often. But they're not often drawn downwards, are they? Why? Because the floor is just what you walk on. It gets dirty. It gets scuffed. This is a very nice floor, by the way. I'm not being rude about your floor. It's a, it's a lovely floor, and it's a very smart. I like the platform up here, but it's just a floor, isn't it? It's just what you put on the ground. But here is the floor that is being raised above the creature's heads on which the throne sits, and it sparkles like crystal. It's awesome. Look at the throne. It's there in verse 26. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. 
the most precious gem known to man at the time. Tiny things normally, like diamonds. You know, if you said to someone, you've got something made of diamond, they would imagine you meant a little ring with a tiny piece of diamond in it. But here is the whole throne made of the most precious gem you can imagine. It's glorious. In fact, glorious is hardly a good enough word, is it? Um, you know, we, we talk about lots of things being glorious. I, li- I like listening to the radio, and I especially like listening to sports commentary on the radio. I love the way that the commentators have to describe what's happening. And I, I like listening to the tennis. You, I don't know if anybody else does this. You listen to the tennis on the radio, and the commentators, they, they kind of find it quite hard to keep up with the action, describing what's going on. And what happens is they use the same words again and again. And so Federer, you know, he, he knocks it down the, down the sideline, down the, down the whatever it's called, and, um, you know, it goes over the net. And the commentator says, it's a glorious shot. And in the, the next game, there's, a, there's another rally, and it ends in an equally, equally spectacular way. And, and the commentator says, it's another glorious shot from Federer, or whoever it may be. The word gets used all the time. So actually, the, the Lord is glorious. Yeah, that's right, but it's almost, it's almost not enough of a word. Perhaps we could say transcendent. It's a word we don't use very much. Beyond all things. You've never seen anything like this, have you? Never. And yet, here's the thing about it. The Lord is hardly mentioned at all. You see a fire coming, but you don't see the Lord. You see the angels, the creatures that hold up the throne room in all their wonder and spectacular kind of oddity. You don't see the Lord. You see the wheels... The intersecting wheels, you don't see the Lord. You see the throne platform, you don't see the Lord. You see the throne, you don't see the Lord. Until finally, there he is in verse 26. Sitting on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw them from what appeared to be his waist up. He looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. Everything about this vision is transcendent. And then when finally you see the Lord, here's the thing. This was the appearance, verse 28, of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Um, My Bible that I've got has a, a different title. My old Bible used to say at the beginning, a little title, the glory of the Lord. It's a wrong title, by the way. Uh, and do you know why? Because Ezekiel can't see the glory of the Lord. He sees the likeness of the glory of the Lord. That's as close as he can get. And even then, he doesn't get that close. The, the word there, appearance, means a vision. He sees a vision of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. We might say he sees a picture of a picture of the glory of the Lord. You know, when you take a, a picture of a picture... It's not quite as clear, is it? It's kind of one step removed. My, um, my youngest daughter, two daughters who are married, my youngest daughter, who's 15, she decided to make for Mother's Day today a book of photos. And all our photos are kind of in albums, you know how it is. And she thought the best way to do that would be to take a photo with her phone of a photo. So she got the albums out. You know, they're coloured in cellophane, so they don't photograph very well. So, bless her, she took all these photos of my wife in kind of with the children at different stages, and then she printed them out. She didn't print them out on very good paper. So the net result was very sweet. 
this sort of little book of photos, but it was, it was a bit blurred. <laughs> it was a lovely thing to see, but it, quality wasn't great, to be honest, because they were photos of photos, and actually they were printouts of photos of photos. They were kind of removed from the reality. And what Ezekiel sees here is removed from the reality by two steps. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and yet still it takes his breath away. That's how glorious the Lord is. Now, I want to suggest to you that you and I, our vision of the Lord is a bit humdrum in comparison. It's a bit dull. It's a bit boring. For here is one who who takes your breath away in extraordinary measure, and then right at the end, you discover the punchline, which is you've not really seen the Lord. You've only seen him far off. A picture of a picture. What is at the heart of Christianity? It is an encounter with the God who is there. And not any old encounter. But a vision like this takes our breath away. That leaves us speechless so that when we're praying, we hardly know what to pray. For he's so transcendent, so beyond anything we can imagine. The Lord is glorious. Is that your vision? Is that your vision? Second thing, the Lord is holiness. Now, if some of you are teachers, you'll tell him off later because you'll say you've not got the grammar right. You don't say the Lord is holiness. But let me explain what I mean. Um, Holy means different. Holy means other. Holy means perfect. Out of your world, out of your experience. And as you read through Ezekiel... Who are the holy creatures that you encounter first? Who is holy in Ezekiel chapter 1? Well, first of all, it is the creatures that you meet, isn't it? Have a look at them. There they are in verse 5. In the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight. Their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings. The wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being. And on the right side, each had the face of a lion. Lion is the strongest wild animal. And on the left, the face of an ox. An ox is the strongest tamed animal. Each also had the face of an eagle. Eagle is the strongest bird. Such were their faces. Now, have you ever seen anything like this? Um, I don't know where you go to look at animals. Um, Whipsnade or Woburn? We used to to live in Harpenden. The reason I know Luton, Leegrave, Harlington, Blittick, Bedford is when we first got married, we moved to Harpenden, which sounds very posh. It wasn't. Um, we wanted to, I worked in um, London Bridge. I wanted to be on the Thameslink line, which you might think is a strange aspiration, but I wanted to be on the Thameslink line. And so we looked at St Albans, and we couldn't afford it, so we went to Harpenden, which now seems crazy, but that was the case 30 years ago. Anyway, we, as our children were born and growing up, we got one of those annual tickets to Whipsnade. You used to be able to drive in then, and you used to be able to go just for a little while and drive down to the end and see the lions and come round the back and see the giraffes. I've never seen anything like this, have you? Never seen anything like this. Out of this world. Extraordinary. 
So if you want some holiness, if you want a dose of holiness tonight, just look at these creatures. These creatures are holy. But look at them again. Verse 11. They each had two wings spreading out upwards, each wing touching that of the creature on the other side, and each had two other wings covering its body. That's such an important detail that it's repeated again later on in verse 23. Under the vault, their wings were stretched out, one towards the other, and each had two wings covering its body. Let me see if I can... The reason I move that over there is because I want to sort of do a bit of demonstration, okay? So what you've got to imagine is these holy creatures, like nothing you've ever seen, four faces, legs like bronze, they have two sets of wings each. And with one set of wings are, are reached out like this, each one touching the other. And those are the wings that they would flap, I guess, to give them lift, to lift this um, throne up into the air. But they have another set of wings. And what do these other wings do? Each had two other wings covering its body, like this. Now, why are they covering their bodies? Have you thought about that? Why are they covering their bodies? And here's the reason. It's because these extraordinary creatures, these holy creatures, out of this world creatures, pure creatures, perfect creatures, they cannot look upon the one who is on the throne. And so they are created, they're designed, if you like, to be those who cover themselves before the one who sits on the throne and rules all things. In other words, the creatures are holy. But the one who sits on the throne is more than that. He is holy, holy, holy. Which is the Bible way of saying as holy as you can get. Holiest. The Lord defines holiness. That's why I say the Lord is holiness. He defines what it means to be perfect and pure and different. There is no measure apart from him. You can't say the Lord is as holy as something. He defines holiness. Just like you can't say the Lord is as loving as. God is love. We measure, I don't know if you ever thought about this, we, we measure everything according to something else. Have you ever thought about that? So if you were to say to me, how did you get here? And I say, well, I drove in my car. And you say, that's very interesting. What speed were you going on the motorway? And I'm good. So I say, I was in the roadworks 50 miles an hour. And you know what that means, don't you? And you know what that means because you know what a mile is. You know what an hour is. So when I say 50 miles an hour, you think, I know what that means. I've got something to compare it to. If someone says to you, how do you feel? You say, I feel as tired as... Got a measure. If before I had come tonight, someone had said, oh, Adrian Reynolds, I've never heard of him, um, how, but what's he like? How tall is he? And he'd say, well, he's five foot ten and a half. Half. Five foot ten and a half. He'd say, well, I know what that is because I know what a foot is, so five foot ten and a half, I can imagine that. He'd say, well, what does he look like? And you say, he's as handsome as Brad Pitt. And you've got a measure. You've got a measure, you see. You've got a comparison. That's how we think about everything. Except not with God. He defines himself. That's what holiness means. He is holy. There is no one like him. There is nothing like him in a league of his own. Way out ahead. 
Is that the vision that you have of him? One who is so far above us, so extraordinarily different, so perfect, so pure, so brilliant, that actually all we can say is the Lord is holiness. That's the kind of vision that Ezekiel needed in order to serve him. And friends, that's the kind of vision that we need too. Is that yours? The Lord is glorious. The Lord is holiness. Thirdly, the Lord is sovereign. That's what these wheels are all about. Look at them in verse 15. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each appearance, each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. Now, so far, so good when it comes to the wheels. I think the creatures are a bit crazy. Wheels, I understand wheels, you think. <laughs> Listen, this was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. What does that look like? As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. The rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. Listen, can I, can I make a plea? If you teach in Sunday school, or if you've got children or grandchildren, please, please don't ever make them draw Ezekiel 1. It is the cruelest thing you can do. Because it is not possible to draw a wheel intersecting a wheel so that all the wheels are facing the same way all the time and facing... It doesn't work. But this is the point. This throne platform can go anywhere. So imagine my Bible is the throne platform. Remember, the throne sits on the top, this throne of lapis lazuli. The throne is what? It's the place where the Lord rules. That's what a throne is. And any place it goes it's always facing forwards how do we know that because the wheels intersect the wheels they've got eyes by the way all around which means that the one on the throne can see everything he doesn't miss anything nothing's happening behind his back but actually the the way that the angels lift up the platform and that the wheels turn it so that it's always going in the same direction but able to go in any direction means that the one who is on the throne is always on the throne wherever the platform is. Now why does Ezekiel need to hear this? Ezekiel needs to hear it because listen where he is. In my 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth year, while I was among the exiles by the river Kibar. Remember, what are the Israelites doing? By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept. It looks like they're on the losing side. It looks like they've been conquered. There was Jerusalem in all its glory. There was the temple where God made his presence known. And the people have been wrenched away from that, far away to a place called Babylon, where it looks like the God who is on the throne is a God called Marduk, is the Babylonian God. And all the Babylonians, no doubt, were, were shouting at them. The little children were running along the canal, the Babylonian children, and making faces at the Israelites and saying, Marduk's the best. What does Ezekiel need to hear? He needs to hear that the Lord is on his throne as much in Babylon as he is in Jerusalem. The Lord is not simply reigning back there where we came from. No, the, the throne is mobile. It goes wherever he wants. And so he reigns and rules all over the world. The Lord is just as sovereign in Babylon 
as he is in Jerusalem. The Lord is as sovereign in Market Harbour as he is in Flittick. The Lord actually is as sovereign in your life today when things are perhaps not going so well, when you're facing difficulty, or there's heartache, or there's pain. The Lord is still on his throne and is still with you. As much as those other days, remember those other days when things were going well, when the Lord was good, when there were blessings? The Lord was on his throne then, wasn't he? He's still on his throne now. You know, when there was a church in every, we were talking about this earlier as the leaders, we were meeting together. When there was a church in every village and the gospel was being proclaimed in every village in this country, was the Lord on his throne? Yes. Now, when barely 3% of the country's population confess Christ as Lord, is he still on the throne? Yes. That's the vision that Ezekiel has. Ezekiel, by the way, is going to have a very hard ministry. We didn't read about it, but if we'd read on into chapter 2 and 3, we would have discovered that Ezekiel is going to have a ministry that no one will listen to. No one. Not one person listens to him. And the Lord tells him that before he starts. How he needs to know this and how we need to know it too. It's a truth, by the way, that keeps us humble when things go well. So again, we were praying um, a bit earlier. We were talking about the quiz night. 72 people, I think, or something came to the quiz night. Great, haven't we done well? No, the Lord is on his throne. And actually, it not only keeps us humble when things go well, but it encourages us when things are tough. So I wish more people had come along to Christianity Explored. It was great that some people came along, but I wish more people had come along. I wish we had more baptisms. The Lord is still on his throne. Keep going. Press on. Friends, if we're going to serve the Lord, this is the vision that we need. Do you have it? The Lord is glorious. The Lord is holiness. The Lord is sovereign. Which begs a question. Where on earth do you get this kind of vision? Now, I don't know what the water features are like in Flitwick. Do you have a river? Canal? Oh, both. Okay, well, somewhere to go and dip your toes. What do you do? Go down and wait there overnight? See what happens? Have you ever had this kind of experience? The, the trouble is, many Christians read Ezekiel 1 and they think to themselves, if only I could have that kind of experience, my life would be sorted. Well, listen, I'll tell you where this kind of experience comes from. Look at verse 26 with me. Above the vault, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. Now, if you know your Bibles, you might recognize those words because they appear again. Revelation chapter 1. John sees a vision of the risen and ascended and glorified Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. All the fullness of the deity dwells in him. Hebrews chapter 1. He is the radiance of God's glory. The night before he died, Jesus got his followers together. 
And he was explaining to them that he was going away. And they were devastated. They'd spent three years with Jesus and he'd he'd talked about dying. But now suddenly it was hitting home. And he was saying, don't worry, don't be upset. I'm going to prepare a place for you. But yet still they they were anxious. And one of them, Philip, turns to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. In other words, Jesus, give me an Ezekiel one moment. I know, I know I've spent three years with you, Jesus. I know I've seen you do wonderful things. Just give me this kind of vision, Jesus. What does Jesus say to Philip? He says to him, Philip, don't you know me? Don't you know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Where do we find this vision today? You don't need to go and dip your toes in the local canal. You probably need a tetanus jab for that, don't you, I expect? You don't need to do any of that. We have something even better. Even better. Because the Lord Jesus has come. The Lord Jesus has taken on flesh. The Lord Jesus has walked this earth. The Lord Jesus has died in our place. The Lord Jesus has risen from the dead. The Lord Jesus has ascended to heaven. And the Lord Jesus has sent his spirit upon the church so that we can know the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. Friends, you might think it's taken me a long time just to say something very obvious. But here it is. At the heart of Christianity is this. It is knowing Christ. And it is seeing him in this kind of detail, this technicolor, this glory, knowing that Jesus is glorious. He's not just my mate. He's glorious. Knowing that he is holiness. Not simply a man who walked this earth, but a perfect man who sets an example for me and who died for me. Knowing that the Lord Jesus is the one who is sovereign over every detail of our church and over every detail of my life. He rules all things. He sustains, the writer of the Hebrew says, all things by his powerful word. Every Christian, whether you've been a Christian five minutes or 50 years or even longer, every Christian needs a daily renewal of this vision of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful that we have it in Christ, that we see the Lord, that we can know the Lord through Jesus, our Savior, and in the power of the Spirit. Friends, I don't know you, I don't know any of you, but I want to encourage you to read this passage and to cry out with me, Father, show me Jesus again. Perhaps reconnect me with Jesus if I'm, if I'm losing my way. Draw me back to him. If, I, if I'm doing well in my faith, I want to grow. I want to see more of him. I want to see more of his glory and his holiness and his sovereignty. I want to increase in my faith. Lord, I have faith. Increase my faith. What is at the heart of Christianity? It is this. It is knowing the Lord. And how do we know him? We know him in the Son, in the power of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for your Son, whom the word reveals. Forgive us that we think too little of him. Forgive us that we think too seldom of him. And please, Heavenly Father, in the power of your Spirit, show us Jesus once again in all his glory and wonder, 
in all his holiness and purity, in all his sovereign rule over all things. Show us Jesus again, we pray, in his name. Amen. Amen. Our final song as the uh, musicians come up. Um, We're going to sing When Peace Like a River. So if you want to... uh...